Good to be back with you today. I had uh, uh, last Sunday had the, the day off from preaching as uh, as Chris Conley filled in and, and preached during our graduate recognition. And wasn't that a great time to see the, the stage just filled with all the high school graduates and hearing about uh, the next season of their of their lives and uh, praying for them as they uh, as they move into into that next season. Also, I want to take a minute to uh, to welcome uh, the team back from Romania. I know that uh, that they got back on Friday evening, and so I've already heard some some great things about that trip, and we'll share just a little bit uh, of that with you here in a few minutes. Uh, we want to continue to pray for Kimberly. She is in Kenya and will be coming back this week. She's been at a uh, children's ministry conference and retreat training children's leaders uh, from uh, many different countries, and so she's had a tremendous opportunity there, and we want to continue to pray for Kimberly Fowl as she makes her return uh, this coming week. I read uh, that... Uh, some of the older maps that were written on parchment, uh, I was looking at one uh, online this week that was, that was actually developed back in the 1500s, and of course you can imagine that, uh, that some parts of the map are fairly accurate and other parts are, are not as accurate, and, and some parts of the world are, are completely missing uh, because uh, as the, the map makers were, were working with the explorers of the day trying to determine uh, the coastlines and the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the different parts of the world, and I read that it wasn't uncommon for those parts of the map where they were a little uncertain about, uh, about what it looked like in a particular part of the world, that they, that they might place things like dragons on the parchment and just, just put that in there as a, as, a, uh, as a warning to those who might go in that direction. If you're an explorer going to this part of the world, we don't know what's there. So they draw some pictures of dragons as if saying, be warned. We don't know what it is. We don't know what's there. In fact, the map I was looking at that's uh, in the Smithsonian uh, was, was uh, made in 1510. And in Southeast Asia, it even wrote in Latin, here are dragons, just to, to give them a clear warning if they're heading that way. And we can use that as an analogy, to, as a picture for us to think about our own lives and our own opportunities, that, that uh, if you have a map of, of your life or a map of, 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 of what you see God doing uh, in you and, and, and through you in this world, that at times you may, you may have opportunities to go into areas that you've not been before. And if we're not careful, we might look at those maps of the future and, and see dragons there instead of opportunities. And so oftentimes we, we get to the point where we have a decision to make. Am I going to follow through with this opportunity or am I going to hold back? Am I going to press on or am I going to be paralyzed and not, and not move in to what I think may be an opportunity God is opening up? This morning as we look into the fourth chapter of Colossians, we're going to see that Paul is asking for prayer for a door of opportunity. He's looking as he would spend his whole Christian life looking for opportunities. He's now praying that, uh, that God would give him another door of opportunity. And it's interesting because Paul is writing these words as he sits where? In a prison cell in Rome, and yet he has not given up. He has not lost hope. He is still looking for God to use his life to its fullest capacity. And so I invite your attention this morning to the fourth chapter of Colossians as we see and pick up watching Paul as he scans the horizon, looking for ways to take the gospel to people who have not yet heard the good news. Over the last number of months, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians. And of course, we've had a lot 
uh, happening in the life of our church during that time. So there's been a number of, of special services and, and emphases. But we come now to the end of the book of Colossians. And so we, uh, we look back uh, over the last few months and we, we remember that Paul was writing this as a letter. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, but a letter to a young church. A church that if, uh, if it were around today would be in modern day Turkey. The name of the town was Colossae, not, not too far from Ephesus. He had been in Ephesus and ministered there for a number of years. He'd come across a, a, a man by the name of Epaphras, who was from Colossae, who came to know the Lord in Ephesus and went down to Colossae, to, to his city, to share the gospel. And, and a church was, was established there. Well, we know that, uh, that Paul is writing a letter to this group of people. He'd not ever been there before. He'd not ever met them in person. Yet he'd heard that there was a struggle taking place in their city. If you remember, there was a group of people. They were promoting another way of thinking. It was called Gnosticism, or the word for, for knowledge. In fact, they thought they had a superior knowledge. You might, might think of them as a know-it-all. They, they thought they had all the information they needed to go beyond what Christ had provided. And so this man, Epaphras, went to Rome. And he saw Paul in person and said, there's a problem. This group of, of, of Gnostics are promoting all kinds of things that are, that are contrary to Christ. They're promoting mysticism and asceticism and, and, and telling people that Christ isn't enough, that they, that they had to add this superior knowledge to their faith in order to have assurance. And so Paul took opportunity to write this letter. And he wanted them to know the supremacy of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the theme, that Christ is absolutely supreme above all things, completely sufficient as both the head of all creation and the head of the church. And so as you read through the first two chapters of Colossians, you'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find another section of Scripture that so eloquently describes who Jesus is, His ability, His strength, his, his position in creation. All things coming, coming from Him and through Him. That He sustains it all. And so Paul is writing these words to this young church as a, as a way to say, you've got what you need in Christ. You don't have to, to, to press into all of the other things that the world is offering to find your salvation. You are complete in Him. And so he takes two chapters to give them this theological uh, foundation, if you will. And then from there, he, he turns in chapter 3, and he begins to make it very practical. Because of our beliefs, we then have particular ways of living life. That's true for us as believers today. And he was helping them apply their, their Christian faith to marriage, to parenting, even into the workplace, as we saw a couple weeks ago. That, that, that we're, we don't live a detached life of, of this, this is our belief and this is our, this is our behavior. In fact, they are brought together as one. That our belief in Christ and His life that He puts within us impact our daily lives, impact our daily thinking, our pursuits. And so from chapter 3 on, it gets very, very practical. And now as we move into chapter 4, it contains the closing words of the letter we'll see that Paul asks for prayer. He's going to give some closing admonitions, which is, is pretty typical for him in the letters that he writes. But then he's going to mention some people by name, people that are with him, 
people that he is writing to. And, uh, and I think it'll be interesting for us to take a few minutes to consider those names as well. Well, let's pick back up where we left off a few weeks ago in verse 2 of chapter 4. And we're going to see our first point this morning is, uh, is to look for opportunities. Opportunities for the gospel. Let's begin in verse 2. Paul writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door, a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. Verse 4, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So Paul opens the letter with assurance that they in Rome are praying for those in Colossae, that they are concerned in praying for one another. He's also asking them to pray for him. You see, prayer is a, is a reminder that behind it all, who is at work but the Lord? Behind it all, what, are, what, what do we need? We need Him. We are dependent upon Him. If we're looking for opportunities to, to share the gospel, to influence others, we need God to be at work. Only He can create these opportunities. Only He can, can work in hearts and in minds of people that they would be receptive to His Word. And so that's why Paul begins just as he ends this letter, by thinking of prayer. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. We looked at this back in January. He writes this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul understands he recognizes that it is only God who can sustain and guide us, both towards spiritual maturity, which I believe is what verse 9 is speaking of, but also towards those increased opportunities that chapter 4 is speaking of. It's a matter of go, going before the Lord, recognizing His position as the Lord of the church, recognizing His position as the supreme one over the universe, that we have that opportunity to go before Him in conversation, in prayer, asking for His wisdom, asking for His blessing, asking for His protection or His provision, or as we see in chapter 4, an open door, a door for the Word, a door for influence, a door to, 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 to go through in, in such a way to impact and influence those who are around us. And as we think about that door today, you might think of it in a lot of different contexts. You might be praying for a door of opportunity with a family member, someone that you are, 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 are greatly uh, concerned about, concerned for their spiritual well-being, and praying for that, that door of opportunity to get to share the light of Christ. Or maybe you think about, about a neighbor or a colleague or a friend from school. You, you have someone that's in, that's in, your, in, your, in your life. And you know that, that they have not yet placed faith in Christ. And you see their need for Jesus. And you look for that door of opportunity. Or maybe we can think about it as a church family. We think about what God has done among us this year. in bringing us together. Giving us a, a new location. Giving us a new name. 
and a new identity in this community and to think, what are the opportunities that God has for us today and for the days that are ahead? So just as Paul was praying for, for a door, a door to open, we know that we also have opportunities for the gospel. Look at how he wants to walk through this door. Look at verse 5. He's talking about being clear in the way that he explains the gospel. And he says, may I walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Walking in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, who are the outsiders? That sounds like some, some impolite language, doesn't it? The insiders and the outsiders, right? What do you think he's talking of? What do you think he's talking about? He's not being impolite. Obviously, he's, he's thinking about those who are outside of the faith. He's writing a letter to a church, people who are in Christ, who've already had the opportunity to hear and to follow and to grow in the Lord. And now he's praying for those who have not yet come in, those who are outside. And he cares for them. And he wants to, to, to be careful. In fact, he's, he's, he's saying that I want to walk in wisdom towards them. We know that every day we come into contact with those who have not yet, not yet believed. We've already mentioned who some of those people might be, and there may be others that come to your mind as well. They've not yet trusted. They've not yet followed. They're, they're outside the grace of Jesus Christ, His saving grace. And you know that, that they have a need for Him. And so we can take Paul's example by wanting to walk in a way that is wise. To make the best use of an opportunity by, by walking with wisdom. In fact, I pray that throughout this summer we can be thinking a lot about wisdom. We're going to be looking at the, at the book of Proverbs over the summer months. And the book of Proverbs is about wisdom. And so, so hopefully it will, it will help us put into practice these things that we believe. But we are going to come into contact with people each day who don't follow Christ. Look what he says at verse 6 and how we can speak to them. Let your speech, excuse me, let your speech always be, what is the word there in verse 6 say? You following along? Gracious. Let your speech sometimes be gracious. Oh, what does it say? <laughs> Just making sure you're with me this morning. Let your speech always be gracious. That's a high calling, isn't it? To be thinking and measuring every word, that it would be gracious speech, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, your mouth reveals what goes on in your heart. If I am holding up anger within my heart, what comes out of my, my mouth will, will show anger, won't it? If I'm, if I'm holding bitterness within my heart, when I go to speak, that, that bitterness is going to pour forth. And so we as Christians have been filled and blessed by the grace of Jesus Christ. We have been given a great blessing in Him. Blessing after blessing. In fact, one of the verses says grace upon grace. Over and over, day by day, His grace, His mercy, filling, flooding our lives. Just think about the grace of God that's been offered to you and that you've been a recipient of. That that, in some way, is to guide our speech. Do you see the connection there? 
We receive God's grace, and now our speech is to be gracious, filled with grace. Now, I'll be the first to admit this isn't the easiest of things we can read about in Scripture, is it? To think about our speech always being filled with grace, being gracious. But that's the call, that's the expectation that with Christ being at work in our hearts, that His grace is going to pour forth. In fact, it even says to be seasoned with salt. Now, that's a, that's a unique phrase, isn't it? We don't probably in our context today thought, think about our speech being seasoned with salt. But that was a, that was a Greek phrase, and it was used to, to think about thoughtful speech or words with content. And so, uh, so you can think about, about having words that mean something, words that matter, gracious words, that, that this is how the gospel is communicated. Yes, it's, it's, it's communicated as we walk in wisdom. That's, that's the, the testimony that we have through our life, through our actions. But it's also communicated through our words. And I know sometimes we think, well, isn't, is the gospel really something that needs to be communicated verbally? Or is just living my life enough? And you know what the answer is? We've got to communicate it verbally. That's, that's, that the gospel was given to us through the word, and we are to share it verbally with the words that God has given to us. So yes, it is to be complementary, our life and our speech together, a testimony to maximize gospel opportunities. This isn't the first time that Paul prays for this. In fact, when he was in Ephesus, uh, uh, before that, he, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, that he was going to stay in Ephesus because a wide door for effective work has opened to me. A wide door. Something that certainly he'd been praying about even at that time. And he recognized that the door was there. And that's part of the admonition that he's giving this church. Look for opportunities. Now, if we were to go back into around 1959 or 1960, I believe the name of the church was Hanley Road Baptist Church. Is that right? And Hanley Road Baptist Church saw what? An opportunity. They saw growth coming in West County. Am I right about the name of that church? I'm not. What is the name of it? Hanley Hills. Thank you. I thought I had that. <laughs> I thought I had it not quite right. Hanley Hills Baptist Church. They saw a door of opportunity. And what did they do, church? They seized it. They moved forward in it. They, 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 they went out and they, they, they provided a way by God's grace for another church to be established. And even today, that's part of our history, isn't it? We are the recipients of them seeing a door of opportunity. And for us to be alert to, to doors of opportunity that, that God opens for us as well. And I know we could speak about a lot of them today. We could speak of them thinking through the history of First Baptist Church of Ellisville and West County Community Church. We could see and speak of opportunities that God has given in various times. One that I'd like to share about is one that is continuing today in the country of Romania. How many of you all know that, that uh, there have been 20 trips to Romania over a 15-year period? In fact, the, uh, the church in Romania gave a plaque, 2002 to 2017, by Mari Romania, Barunta Baptist Church, 
15 years of partnership working for the glory of God. And it's been incredible to see not only the number of people that have come from our church to go there, but to see how many people there have responded, that the church family in Romania has partnered to go into these villages. I believe each year there's about three different villages that are, that are visited where, where gospel work is either not existent or is in its infancy. To go there on these mission trips and to, to support and to strengthen and to begin. Here's some pictures of the most recent trip. And this is in a, in a town, um, let me find the name, Breb, B-R-E-B, Romania. And there's about three pictures there. You can scroll, scroll through them. You'll see the people that showed up for the, for the worship service. You'll see, uh, you'll see some of our team members there that are serving. And, and what is happening there is that a, that a church is being established, a, a place in which gospel ministry has been lacking. And yet now there's a foothold there. There's an opportunity. And so we see these opportunities that God provides. We pray for them. We pray that we'll see them. We pray that we will walk through the door. And I know that, that this is just one example of many. We could stand up if we had time and we could talk about doors of opportunity that have, that have opened up, not only for our church, but maybe for our, our individual lives. People that, that, we have, that we have seen God bring into our lives. Let me share about some doors of opportunity for our church just in the coming month, in the month of June. We're going to have an opportunity for backyard Bible clubs to take place. This is an opportunity for you to open up your home and invite children in your neighborhood to come to a, a backyard Bible club. And a team of people from the church will come and they will, they will lead. They will plan. They will put together the Bible club. They're just looking for places where they can host it. Just looking for people to say, I'm willing to open up my, my home. I'm willing to invite some of the, the children from my, from my neighborhood. That's it. That's, that's the Backyard Bible Club. And, and can you think... What might happen when one of those little boys or girls comes in and they get the opportunity to hear the gospel? Church family, do you realize that we have a whole generation of young people growing up in a day that looks very different from the day you grew up in? In terms of, of gospel access, even right here in our own community, it's not what it used to be. And so we have to take the opportunities that God gives us there's one. Look at the next one. Neighborhood Bible studies. Again, an opportunity to open up the home. Sometimes people will come to something in your home where they might not come to a church building. And this is, in fact, uh, women's Bible studies where they will come and, and have a Bible study in your home. And I've, I've heard that a number of people have, have signed up for this one already. And, and again, think of the opportunity for, for ladies and, and, and quite possibly their families to be blessed and encouraged is their opportunity to, to meet with other Christian women takes place in your home. Here's another one, a mission trip. Mission trip to Evanston, Illinois. And we've talked a little bit about this, uh, where, uh, uh, where Scott Kelly has, has planted a church with his wife, Megan. And they're working hard in the, in the community of, of Northwest, Northwestern University. Very difficult place to reach, very unchurched area. And they're looking for, for, for those who can come in and help them creatively minister to their community. What do they need? They need some willing hands. They need some young people, 
young people that can come in and, and help expand their influence and their, their impact into that part of Chicago. I hope that you'll not only pray for these opportunities, but that you'll help us walk through the doors. Because again, we could look at each of those and say, you know what, a backyard Bible club for children in my home? I think I see a dragon there, right? I think I see something to be afraid of there. A mission trip, Chicago? I think I see a, a dragon that might keep me. See, that's the, that's the, the opportunity that, 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 we, that we are faced with, a choice. Whether or not we will seize the opportunity. Because after June's over, those opportunities are gone. Maybe another time, maybe, maybe not. So these are just some examples of walking through the door. There's an interesting passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 17. And uh, this is Paul standing on the Areopagus, or what's also known as Mars Hill, looking out down over the city of Athens. I've been there many times. I've been a part of worship services there on occasions. And uh, as Paul is talking with the philosophers of the day, he's, he's trying to make a connection to them. And listen to what he says. Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Is that interesting? That in God's sovereignty, He created mankind, men and women, and that He even allots their, the time periods. He determines the boundaries of their dwelling place. Verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet, He is actually not far from each one of us. Now, there's a lot we could say about those two verses, but what I want us to get from it is that we see that God has ordained places to live, time periods to live, and He has said that He is actually not that far away. You may tell you how that's true. There's probably a lot of reasons we could give about God's presence and God's activity. But one way that's true is that, that He is at work through His people. And so even though someone might be outside the gospel, the word that Paul used, the outsider, they are not that far because they happen to know someone who knows Christ. He's not that far away from them. Your friend that we were thinking about earlier, your family member that you were thinking about, your neighbor, God's not that far away. Why? Because you're in their life. God is placed within the boundaries of time, within the, the parameters of, of where we live and work and breathe. He has placed us in community with others, both so that we can receive their influence, but also so that we can influence them. And so Paul is praying throughout chapter 4 that, that a door of opportunity would come and that he would also pray for the church in Colossians that they would also see the opportunity. So think about your workplace. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your hobby. Think about all those people you're going to meet whose parents and grandparents play on the uh, whose uh, grandkids play on the baseball team that your child or your 
grandson or granddaughter plays on. Think about all those different ways in which we interact and connect with others and see it in light of this passage. See it in light of Colossians 4. Be praying that you can walk in wisdom, that your eyes and my eyes can be open to a door of opportunity for the Word. How do we do this practically? I think Paul tells us we walk in wisdom and we let our speech be what? What was that word? Gracious. Walking in wisdom with gracious speech. And who knows how God just might show up in a powerful, powerful opportunity. Let us be people who genuinely care, who are genuinely concerned and pray for those around us. Let's look secondly at the final section in chapter 4. And we will see not only opportunities for the gospel, but partners in the gospel. Because Paul always served as a member of a team. Throughout his missionary journeys, there's always people there that are with him, that he's serving with. And it's a picture for us as well, being partners together, co-laborers in gospel ministry. Now, as I read through this latter part of Colossians, I thought, well, maybe this is one where I just read and then we we pray and and we're dismissed, right? It just seems like it's kind of some personal greetings. But the more I looked at that, some of the names jumped out at me. Some of them are mentioned in other verses. And he gives some some words to to a few of these individuals. So I'm not going to go through all of them because I know there's, there's, uh, I think, 10 or 12 names listed here. But I'd like to highlight about five or six of them. Let's look at verse 7. Tychicus. Verse 7 says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have, look at verse 8, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who was one of you. Of course, read the book of Philemon, you learn about Onesimus. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. So, how did the book of Colossians, the letter of Colossians, get to the city of Colossae? Tychicus. Tychicus delivered it. Wasn't Mailed, wasn't emailed, right? Wasn't not all these delivery ways that we have today. It was, it was old school, right? Hand delivered by Tychicus. He's mentioned in a few other places of Scripture, five times actually. He came to know the Lord under Paul's ministry in Ephesus. According to Acts 20, he would accompany Paul on some of Paul's travels. But here, he is the one, not only coming back with a report, with Onesimus on how Paul was doing, but more importantly, he was delivering a divinely inspired piece of Scripture. And just think, sometimes in gospel partnership, we think that maybe the task we have isn't as important as other tasks. No, Tychicus wasn't the author of the letter. But how effective would that letter have been if he hadn't got it there? If he had not delivered that letter to the city of Colossae, would they have been able to read those first two chapters? 
Would they have been warned against the the threat of the heresy of Gnosticism? Would they have been able to read chapter 3 and see how to apply the the teaching of of Scripture into their daily life and their family and their workplace? No. It would have all been gone. But God worked through a man named Tychicus. And he took the word. He delivered it from Rome, not only to Colossae, but he also delivered the letter to the church in Ephesus. Also, the letter of Philemon, and likely one that we don't have, which was a letter to the church in Laodicea. So here he was, an important task, delivering this information. The next section, if you keep reading, beginning in verse 10, you're going to see that there are six names in this section. Three of them who are Jewish, and three who are Gentile. And that jumps out, because in that day, that would have been very unique. People in partnership for the gospel. And we see the racial barriers being crossed. The gospel bringing people together, even for the sake of gospel ministry. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. Jesus being obviously a common name in that time. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Three Jewish men. And they have been a comfort to me. Now Mark is mentioned in verse 10. Let's look at him. He's also known as John Mark. Do you remember that name? Do you remember John Mark on the first missionary journey? What happened about the time they got to Cyprus? Paul's ready to move forward, but not John Mark. He goes back to Jerusalem. And so later on, Paul's making another journey. And Paul and Barnabas are talking about the journey. And Barnabas wants to bring his cousin John Mark. Was Paul willing to take him? Nope, not this time. So do you see the the, the divide that happened? John Mark left. Paul wasn't willing to take him on the next trip. And yet here we are 12 years later. And who is it that's one of the men ministering to Paul while he's in prison? What a beautiful picture of people coming back together again. I read about two churches that were serving in the same community. They had this novel idea. They thought, maybe we could have more effective ministry if we joined forces together. What a concept, right? And so they began thinking about a church merger. They were working through all the details, but something caught them up. They were discussing how they would conduct the Lord's Prayer during the Sunday morning service. And they realized quickly that they used different versions. One prayed, forgive us our trespasses. The other prayed, forgive us our debts. And you know what? They couldn't come to agreement. Merger never happened. They never joined forces. They stayed divided over that one issue. Sometimes believers can be like Paul and John Mark, and they can be divided. They can go other directions. But I want us to see what happened. They had a willingness in their hearts to eventually forgive one another. 
to eventually come back together. Twelve years later, there they are in Rome. And if you look at the letter of 2 Timothy, Paul would request John Mark by name to come to him. Isn't that amazing to see that reconciliation take place? What a picture of God's gospel. Look at verse 12. Not only do we see broken fellowship that was restored, but verse 12 shows us a man who has a heart for his city, Epaphras. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you? What does he mean by that? He's a fellow Colossian. He's a servant of Christ. He greets you, always struggling. The Greek word there is is agonizing. Agonizing on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. Now, why would he be praying that they would be that they would find assurance and maturity in Christ? Why was he agonizing? Because he knew there was a heresy threatening them in that day. that would be working against those very things. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. So Epaphras. From the city of Colossae, went all the way to Rome to visit Paul. Again, concerned for what was happening there. Luke, mentioned in verse 14. We've heard that name before, haven't we? The physician, who also was the only Gentile author of a New Testament book. The one that bears his name, the Gospel of Luke. Yes, he was there in Rome at that time. And then there's a man named Demas, mentioned as being there with Paul. But according to a later letter in 2 Timothy, Paul would state that Demas had a love for the world and would desert him. It reminds us, as we read through this list, that sometimes things work out really well with the relationships we have with other believers, and other times it doesn't work as well. As we look at gospel partnership, I want to tell you what happens. We expand our opportunity for influence when we work with others. We expand the, the, the reach that we can have into a community or into the world or into a wide door of opportunity. It's expanded when we work together. But you know what else happens? When we expand that reach, we open ourselves up for what? Pain? Hurt? Disappointment? unmet, unfulfilled expectations? Why is that the case? Because as humans that make up the team, we're going to exhibit that. We're going to encourage one another and we're going to disappoint one another. But in the end, we have to ask ourselves, is it better to open up wide, even risking the time that we could be hurt by others? Or should we just keep it really, really tight? A real tight circle, minimizing our influence, minimizing the opportunities, but also guarding ourselves from being hurt by those that we might partner with. Do you see that temptation? We probably all face that and fight that from time to time. Where maybe we've we've been disappointed by others, we just say, never again. Not going to do that again. I won't partner next time. I'll just go it alone. I can do it by myself, right? Because it's just too hard to work. With others. Well, we see examples of this here. But thankfully, 
Paul was willing. Even in light of someone like Demas, he didn't give up on others. He opened himself up. He was vulnerable, but he was there to serve. And his opportunity for ministry increased. Let me point out another couple names, then we'll close. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha. Nympha. Interesting name. Listen to how she is recorded in Scripture. And the church in her house. We don't know much about her, but we know that she opened up her house so that a church could meet there. What a testimony. And when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So the, the, the church in Laodicea is mentioned in verse 15 and in verse 16. Do you think that Paul sensed that the Laodiceans really needed some encouragement? They would be mentioned again in the Bible, wouldn't they? Revelation chapter 3. And they will forever be known as the church who was what? Neither hot nor cold, lukewarm. Maybe Paul was hearing some things and he was worried for them. We have Nympha, we have the Laodicean church, and we have Archippus, who may have been the son of Philemon. Either way, Paul saw that God had given Archippus a ministry. And he said these words to him, See to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. When those gospel opportunities come, when those faithful gospel partners come together, what is the charge for him and for us? That we would fulfill the ministry that we have received. Church family, that's a word for us today as we read the conclusion of Colossians, which says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this word of Scripture. We thank you that by your providence, you had it delivered to this church and preserved for us today that we may be taught, that we might be encouraged, that our spiritual lives might be stimulated and that our minds in thinking about Christ would be expanded. God, may you use your word in our church. May you use it to, to continue the work that you have established here. May you use it to remind us of the doors of opportunity that you've provided for us individually and as a church family. God, we pray that we can be a church that is filled with heat and light and strength. God, may we never be complacent. May we not follow that example out of Laodicea and be neither hot nor cold. But God, may you establish us firmly in your word, but also in our hearts that we may love you deeply, serve you willingly, and be that light for this community and in every door of opportunity that you provide for us. Lord, we thank you for your work among us, and we look forward with great expectancy for what you have ahead, realizing that we follow 
and the heritage of people like Hanley Hills, people like Paul and Archippus and others that we've not ever met. But God, may you continue your legacy of faith into the next generation through the ministry of our lives. We pray now your blessing on the remainder of this service. We think about the offering that's being received and ask, Lord, for you to bless it and use it for your glory. For we pray this in Christ's name and all of God's people said.